we get ready to continue in our look at Abraham and the road to faith, everyone here who has ever paid a bill of any kind is probably familiar with a document like this receipt. You may have got it when you went to the car mechanic to get your motor worked on or wherever. Those of you who are uh, familiar with paying your bills online will also know about a confirmation document like this uh, where you can do things digitally and punch buttons and all that kind of stuff. Whether it is a paper physical receipt or an online confirmation, we understand the importance of these things, don't we? Because somewhere down the line, all of a sudden somebody may say, well, you never paid. And you will say, yes, I did. I had the confirmation. Now, we have, religiously speaking, the idea of confirmation. And if you are an area like ours where Roman Catholicism is very strong, you're familiar with at least the ideas of confirmation. Um, those within the realm of Christendom who practice infant baptism have varying acts of confirmation. Confirmation that will affirm the person who is baptized and as an infant is indeed a person of faith. Now, there are more groups that do this than you may be aware. You may be aware of Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodox, but there are Protestant groups like the Anglican, uh, the Lutheran, the Methodist, and Reformed traditions that they have different understandings of what infant baptism is, but they all have some sort of confirmation that says this is a person who truly is a person of faith. Now, we as Baptists do not practice either infant baptism or a formal sacrament of confirmation. But we nonetheless have an important need for one form of spiritual confirmation. We need the confirmation from God. We need to be able to know that we are following the Father, that we are living according to His will, that we are in fact His children. And the Word of God gives us a lot of different passages of Scripture that talk about confirmation. But John, the Apostle John, in 1 John 5.13, actually said, this is the reason I wrote this letter. Now, he talks about confession of sin. He talks about loving one another. He talks about living for God the way you should. And then he says, toward the end of his book, 1 John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Confirmation. When God says into our lives what we will all long to hear when we come before Him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now in this morning's text, we're going to see a confirmation from God that was given to His servant Abram. So please stand as we hear the word of the Lord. We'll be looking at Genesis 13, 14 through 18. I want you to listen with both ears, your heart, and come to understand what's being said here. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see, I will give to you 
and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. God bless the reading of his word, and you may be seated. After Abraham's debacle in Egypt, where he really made a bad misstep, and after Lot, his nephew, separates from him, God comes to Abram and reaffirms his call. The reaffirmation of Abram's call is given after he turned his heart back to follow God. After he came back to a commitment to following the will. And after he had shown his confidence that God was going to take care of him. He wasn't afraid of Lot's decision of taking some of the most fertile land when he offered it to him. He knew at this point God was going to take care of him. He was confident in God's ability. Now as we long to experience the joy that comes in knowing that we are actually following God. That we are listening to His voice. We are following His will. And we are His children. We long to experience that. And if indeed we do, then there's a key element here we need to understand. If we want to know the joy of following God, we must never lose sight of God's desire for our lives. Now what's going to have to happen? For us to be sure that God's will as at the forefront of our hearts. How do we come to the place of knowing my heart is committed to God? Well, I believe that we must be willing to follow the same steps of faith that we see revealed in Abram in this passage of Scripture. So we're going to look at a man who turned his heart back to God and find direction for our lives as well. So the very first step is basic. Basic. I would ask for a show of hands of all of you who would be willing to admit that you have selective hearing. Okay, some of you just went ahead and did it anyway. Uh, and, and surprisingly, there were some women who did it. Because they like to point out that we have that problem. But yes, we all have a tendency to do that. I remember... My mom would be saying, Danny, take out the trash. And I could not hear her. From across the house, she could whisper whisper to my father, Danny. And I said, what? Because they were talking about me. And I wasn't sure I liked that. Well, our first step. We must listen to the guidance of God. We must listen. So I'm going to differentiate between just hearing and listening. Actually paying attention to what's going on. And we find a beautiful example in what happened with Abram. He he made a bad mistake going to Egypt and the lie he told, he's come back and now God comes. The Lord spoke to Abram after Lot separated from his uncle. And in speaking to this man, our patriarch of faith, God was offering an Abram a word of encouragement. 
Abraham has come to the place of trusting God that you're going to take care of me. And so God let this great father of faith know that the hand of Yahweh was actually upon him. And Abram was ready to listen. Now, when he first heard the call of God, if you were here, you remember God said, leave your land. He did that. He left Ur and then stopped in Haran. Leave your father's house, hold. And Terah went with him, his dad. Terah dies, so he starts making his way back. God affirms, this is the land I told you about when he got to Canaan. But now, Abram is ready to listen. Will he always do it? No, we, I've already said there are stumbling blocks in his life along the way. But he listens and he hears. Now what does that have to do with you, with me? Simply put, we need to do more than hear what God has to say to us. We need more to do than just hear Him. You see, our ability to hear from God today is linked specifically to the revelation of God that is found within His Word. This is why I love what these kids are doing and everyone who ever decides I want to take God's heart word and put it in my heart. It's an amazing thing because God has told us who we are to be, what we are to do, how to do it through His Word. It is within the Scripture we find the way to salvation. When we find the way to eternal life. It is within its pages we discover that God is ready to give us whatever we need for us to live the Christian life. But this involves more than a casual reading of God's Word. It involves more than hearing a sermon on any given Sunday. Now, I do want you to hear me, but it's got to be more than that. It's got to be more than going to a Sunday school class and having a Bible study. And we see this clearly in the epistle to James, the letter of James, in chapter 1, verses 22 and through 25, the brother of our Lord made this statement. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he, forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer, who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now it's important that we acknowledge, as Douglas Moo has, that James isn't criticizing listening to the Word of God. He's not diminishing that at all. What he opposed was merely listening, just hearing it, and then not doing anything about it. So we need to understand, in other words, if all we ever do is hear the Word, if we don't act on it, the Word of God really doesn't do us any good. We're walking and we're thinking that we're close to God when we're living a lie. It's not enough to just hear. I've known people who were absolutely 
wonderful in their knowledge about Bible facts. And it didn't impact their lives. Jimmy Chapman shared a really great story about the need to listen. Uh, Now, it's not specifically about the Word of God, but he comes back to it. And he tells the story of President Franklin Roosevelt, who had apparently gotten kind of tired of White House receptions, of shaking hands and smiling and whatever else you think about Roosevelt, he had a really great smile, shaking hands, and he started wondering, does anybody really hear what I have to say? Are they listening to me? And probably every preacher on earth has ever wondered, are they really hearing me or not? He decided to check it out. So in the reception line, as people were going by, he flashed that big smile and said, I murdered my grandmother this morning. And people responded, how lovely, that's wonderful. They weren't listening. Oh, it's great. Oh, it's it's an honor to shake your hand, Mr. President. And they went on. And he confirmed what he thought. No one was listening except one foreign diplomat. When the president said, I murdered my grandmother this morning, the diplomat moved in and responded softly, I'm sure she had it coming, sir. Now Chapman says, the problem is not that God is not speaking, but rather we are not listening to Him. It's not the Lord who is not speaking, but it's us who are not hearing. And so, for this to capture our hearts, for this to change our lives, for this to confirm we are following God, we must be willing to do what He said. Had Abram refused to really listen to God, he would have been no better off than Lot, who was led only by what Lot wanted. We have heard the Word of God. And so we must yield our hearts to the Word and let it guide us in the way we are to live in this world. Because God tells us within His Word what He expects. Things like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit. I love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemy. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Be my witnesses telling the world the good news of Jesus Christ. We hear Him, but we need to listen. We need to seek God's strength. Lord, help me to commit myself to actually doing what you say. To decide to yield my heart to your desires and walk your path. So if we truly learn to listen to God, we find a natural progression to our next step. We're listening to God and therefore we must hold on to the promises of our God. Because God is going to reveal to us within His Word, again, what He wants, what He has for us. And again, as we look at Abram and what happens, God just doesn't repeat the call he made earlier. He doesn't even just repeat the promise he made. When God speaks to Abram, Abram was given an expanded promise by the Lord. 
He gave more information to his man, the man of faith. You see, the promise began with a commandment. I don't know if you noticed that. Before God gives any promise, he gives a command. And the command is literally, lift up your eyes and look. Interestingly, the verb translated, lift up your eyes, is the exact same verse, the uh, word, as in Genesis 13.10, when we were told, and Lot lifted up his eyes. So God is telling him, look up. The difference is, Lot was only looking for what he wanted. Lot was only looking for what Lot could get out of it. God was directing Abram to look at what he, the Lord, wanted Abram to see. And then, God gives more information. He adds to the promise. He has told Abram, you're going to be the father of a nation. And now he gives detail. He says, your offspring will be so numerous, they will be like the dust of the earth, unable to be counted. Later on in Abram's life, Abraham's life, God says, you look up into the sky, and if you can count the stars, you can count your descendants. And it's been pointed out by a lot of peoples through a lot of centuries that whether Abram looked up into the sky or Abram looked down to the dust, he was reminded of God's promise. That's what your offspring will be like. And folks, he's not just talking about the Hebrew children. Because we have discovered within the Word of God, the New Testament, when we came to Christ, we are grafted in. We are part of the Israel of God now because God has saved us through faith in Christ. Then God gave another command followed by a promise. Walk through the length and the breadth of the land. Now, Canaan is not a huge place. It's about 70 miles from north to south. But when you're walking it, that's a pretty huge place. So why would God say walk through the length and breadth of the land? Well, according to ancient custom, a property transfer was finalized by the new owner's visit to this tract of land. So someone has pointed out, Abram, as the owner of Canaan, is now instructed to travel around it as a kind of inspection of the property he will be acquiring. And Kay Matthews has pointed out the incredible faith that took. God has said, I'm going to give you this land. The Canaanites are still there. God said, I'm going to give you offspring that can't be numbered. Sarai is still barren. Abram cannot put his hand on any of the promise of God. And yet, he continues to trust. He continues to wait upon the Lord and says, I'm going to follow you, God. I'm going to do what you want me to do. And I believe you will carry your promise out. So God says, not only am I, is this the land you've come to, this is the land I'm going to give you as far as you can see. So that even looks way past what Lot does, doesn't it? Lot made his choice. But God said, look to the east, look to the west, look to the north, look to the south. It will all belong to your offspring. 
God was going to do something amazing. So lift up your eyes and see. Now I want us to focus on that idea of see. Because when it comes to us, we need to understand ours is not a blind faith. Now the world without understanding declares that we are blind. We are fools. You are believing in an outdated book. You are believing in a God that science can explain away now. You are fools for following this path. And it is true that the, those of us who follow Christ are walking by the way of faith and we are not limited by what we see. 2 Corinthians 5.7, Paul writes, we live by faith, not by sight. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But folks, our faith is not faith in faith. It's not just hold on tight, close your eyes, and believe. It's faith that is grounded in the conviction of God's revelation. The promises that God has in fact given to us. What God has done for us in Christ, that which we found to be true. Folks, there are a lot of decisions in my life I have regretted. The one decision I have made that I have never regretted was the day I decided I wanted to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I've regretted my mistakes. I've regretted my stumblings. But He's proven Himself over and over again. And we are ordering our life, not just crossing our fingers and hoping everything works out for the best. We have promises received from God Himself. 2 Peter 1, 3 and 4. The Apostle writes one of the most empowering statements within the Word of God. I want you to really hear this. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. It is the promises of God that we're holding on to. It is a Father who loves us and has sacrificed that we might call Him Father. Who says, come and follow me and I will give you life. A Savior who says, I've come to give you life and that more abundantly. And we hold on to those promises and we press on. So, when a promise is made, we have a choice. Do we believe it or not? Do we trust it or not? Well, when it comes to our Father, we must trust in the God who has given us promise to guide us in our journey. We must learn to trust Him. Now, God doesn't say, I will fulfill your desires the moment you pray. And sometimes the answers are a long time coming. But He promises whatever you go through, I'm with you. And you won't have to fight it alone. He promises, I love you with an everlasting love. I will receive you to myself. You're my child. Some of, for some of you, some have actually told me this is your favorite passage in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord 
with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. He'll, do, he'll lead you. John Calvin, centuries ago, said the hinge on which faith turns is this, we not, must not imagine that the Lord's promises are true objectively, but not in our experience. We must make them ours by embracing them in our hearts. So as we start looking at these promises, and we start giving ourselves over to the Word of God, and we start listening to what He's actually saying, we begin to understand we're not in this alone. God is with us. We're not in this alone. He's given us brothers and sisters who've walked with us and help us grow in our understanding and in our life. God has said, I will give you what you need to become the people I want you to be. As we hold on to these amazing promises, then we'll begin to truly understand our next step toward confirmation. Because the minute we start living by the promises of God, something amazing happens in our lives. We must give our hearts to the worship of our God. We must really open ourselves up to the worship of a God who loves us and has promised us life eternal. When you look at Abram, there's no surprise here. What does Abram do after he's walked the length? Abram once again built an altar before the Lord. It's his third altar in the land of Canaan. After surveying the land, he pitches his tent and settles down in a section of ground that will prove important to him later on in his life, toward the end of his life. You can consider that foreshadowing. You'll have to wait till we get there. But a very significant thing happens with that one single plot of land. It will become actually the only plot of Canaan that Abram will actually own. But when he settled down, he continued the practice that followed him throughout his pilgrimage with God. He built an altar to offer sacrifice and worship to the God he had come to trust. William MacDonald has made a beautiful observation. Absolute love. He says, Abram settles down in Abra, in Hebron. He built his third altar. And then what does he do? To the Lord, he builds an altar for God. But he never builds a house for himself. Abram's, Abram's willing. I'll go through this land in tents. I will go through this land a wandering nomad. And I have no problem with that because I know my God is with me. And all along the way, we find Abram worshiping God. And we must not lose sight of this. People wonder, how could Abram ever come to the place that he would pass the most important test of his life? God said, you're going to be a father. Sarah's going to be the mother. And Isaac is born. And then somewhere along his life, we normally think of Isaac being like seven years old or so. He may have been a teenager. And God says, I want you to sacrifice him. 
Now the book of Hebrews gives us understanding, and we'll get to that, how he believed. But how did Abram get to the place that he was willing to do the most outlandish thing he heard God tell him to do? Because all along the way, he's making steps of obedience, steps of faith, and he's worshiping God. So in his heart and mind, he knows God is somehow going to take care of this. And, I, and Abraham worships. Everywhere he goes, he's worshiping God. And he stumbles. And he falls. And he'll make mis- sometimes the same mistake more than once. But he always hears the call of God to come back. And he always hears the call of God to serve him. And his love grows. In spite of stumbling in ways that a lot of people would never recover from, Abram continues to worship God. And this is the wonderful thing about it. You know about listening to God and holding on to promises? Every time, virtually every time you hear about Abram building an altar or Abram worshiping God, when his name is later changed to Abraham, all along the steps, God continually helps him to understand even more. So we find in this man, there's no code of how worship is to take place. There is no Levitical law describing priests and sacrifices. He just has a heart to worship God, to sacrifice and move. We need to learn from this man at this very precise point. We need to learn. Because my friends, we will come to know God's purpose only as we open our hearts before Him. I will never fully understand God's will, purpose in my life if all I ever do is hear. I need to give my heart. R.C. Sproul, in A Taste of Heaven, Worship in the Light of Eternity, that the single most important thing to understand about worship is that the only worship that is acceptable to God is worship that proceeds from a heart that is trusting in God and in God alone. Our worship should flow freely from us. We should not be afraid. We should not be worried. We should not be concerned. You may or may not know this, but over a hundred years ago, In a Baptist church in the South, Baptists were a whole lot more vocal than they are now. Some of you can remember even before that that they were. I remember in my home church, we had our Amen Corner. It was comprised primarily of Brother Bob Dunn. But Brother Bob, if the preacher raised his voice, Brother Bob said, Amen! I'm 14 years old and my pastor is preaching and I'm getting extremely excited by what he says. But amen doesn't mean anything to me. What I wanted to say, right on! I just gave away my age, didn't I? Right on! And I didn't. Do you know why? I was afraid. I was afraid what people would think. But folks, there was a time there was hooting and hollering and praising. And I'm not trying to, you know, 
and make you do something you're not wanting to do. But there was joy in worship. The worship that should be flowing freely from our hearts should be transforming us. Because we've come together and we're doing the classics of Christian experiencing. We're praying together. And we're reading the God together. And the Word of God is expounded. And we confess before God. And we commit ourselves. And we open ourselves up to what God is saying. We observe ordinances that He's given to celebrate new life and to celebrate what Christ has done for us. And when that happens, and our worship is real, and it is powerful, it changes us. You've heard me say on more than one occasion, I'm not the first one who invented the statement. I don't know who to give credit. But you will hear me say it again. And probably again and again. And hopefully it'll sink in. When we leave this building today, if we're the same people who came in, we have not worshipped. We may have had a religious service, We may have sung songs. We may have listened to the Word. But folks, you cannot encounter the living God and stay the same. It may not be huge change. We may not surrender to go into international missions. But at the very least, we will leave saying, Lord, I want to know You better. I want to serve You more. Abram's worship transformed his life and ours must transform his, ours as well. But I want you to listen carefully. There's a problem if we're not careful. If worship only takes place in our lives in here, in the sanctuary, as we've gathered together, it might explain why we're not being changed might explain why we're not joyful when we come. If the only time we worship is here, we need to understand something, folks. We must recognize that worship is to be a part of our daily lives. For just a moment, think, if I had the power and I could make you survive or try to survive by eating one meal a week, how long do you think you'd live? Not terribly long. We're not designed for one meal a week. And I know some of you, well, I'd eat a really big meal then. Well, it doesn't quite work that way. If we worship only coming into this sanctuary together, It will not kill us because we are in the hands of God, but it will stun our growth. It will keep us from becoming what we are meant to be. told you A.W. Tozer is one of my favorite writers of the 20th century. This is one of the reasons. He says, I just wish I could say Danny Nance came up with this. If you cannot worship the Lord in the midst of your responsibilities on Monday, it is not very likely that you were worshiping Him on Sunday. If I save my worship up for this day, 
We need to daily come to the Word of God. We need to daily seek His face in prayer. For when we become daily worshipers of God, what's happening in here will be transformed. What's happening in here can change. What we do in our times of corporate worship will become much more vital. And it won't be walking out, boy, that was a great service day. I really felt the, the Spirit move because we sang, Char- Charmel picked out the songs we really liked. So yeah, we worship today. No, we will be worshiping freely. Oh, I really love that illustration you gave. I, I hope you do. But that's not worship. Our worship is giving our hearts to God. And there will be a difference between it's Sunday, I've got to go to church. And it's Sunday, I get to go to church. I get to be with my brothers and sisters. We are going to sing the songs of faith. We are going to hear the Word of God. We are going to be changed by our God. So as we come to share our love more meaningfully with our God, as we begin to think about the wonder of worship, the God who created the heavens and earth is with us. We will come to know more certainly that His purpose will guide us. Now just for a moment, understand the possibility of knowing that we are walking in the will of God is amazing if you think about it for just a moment. And if you do think about it for just a moment, you will understand the tremendous gift it is to be able to say, I'm following my God. I'm living for Him. And His Word is alive in my heart. And I'm counting on those, I'm standing on those promises of Christ my Savior. And I want to worship Him with everything within me. Elizabeth Elliot is the widow of Jim Elliot, the missionary who lost his life trying to reach the Alka Indians. And she had a transformative moment in her life as well. She and the wives of other missionaries who were killed went back and ministered to the Alcas and led them to Christ. And she once wrote about in, in a book of hers, A Slow and Certain Light, two adventurers show up at her door. They are all loaded with equipment for the rainforest east of the Andes. It is the first time they've ever gone into the rainforest. But they're not coming and asking her, can you tell us what we need to do? They're not coming and asking her, how do we... How do we talk to the tribesmen? How do we we share our faith? They're not asking for advice. What they want from her is basically, can you give us a few phrases where we can talk to these tribesmen? Can you you help us a little bit? We're going to meet some people. Give us some insight. She wrote, sometimes we come to God as the two adventurers came to me, confident. And we think, well-informed and well-equipped. 
But has it occurred to us that with all our accumulation of stuff, something is missing? She suggested that we often ask God for too little. We know what we need. A yes or no answer to a simple question, please. Or perhaps a road sign. Something quick and easy to point the way. But she said what we really ought to have is the guide himself. Maps, road signs, a few useful phrases are good things, but infinitely better is someone who has been there before and knows the way. Today, as we learn to open our hearts before God, surrendering ourselves into His hand, He can make His path clear to us. We can walk with the guide. As we listen to His guidance, hold on to His promises, Learn to walk in lives that worship Him freely every day. So today, are you willing to follow the guide? Do you wish to walk in the confirmation that only God Himself can give as you seek to do His will? If so, I'd ask you to open your hearts to Him right now. Please bow your heads before your God. Commit yourself into His hand. If you'd like to come to the front to pray, if you'd like to pray with me, please feel free to do so. But what's important right here and right now, open your hearts to God. Yield yourselves to the God who points the way. The God who loves you. The God who wants you to follow Him. Folks, We want to see, I pray, we want to see our world touched by the hand of God. For that to happen, our lives need to be touched by the hand of God. We need to be able to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant.